0: Good evening. I'd like to welcome you to our Bible study tonight and uh, we are going to sing a song to get started so let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer and then uh, we'll sing higher ground and then we will get into our study tonight. So let's bow together for prayer please. Father we're so grateful for this church. We're thankful for each member of this body and the opportunity that we have in the middle of the week to gather together. Father help us as we Spend time together in fellowship to have a very sweet time. As we pray, I pray that you would knit our hearts together. And as we lift up these requests, I pray that uh, we would see you at work in the lives of those who we are praying for. As we dig into this passage of Scripture, I pray that you'd help us to understand it. Uh, It's a very important passage. It's a passage that's easy to misunderstand. And I pray that you'll help me as I present it to do it clearly. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, 397 is the song we're going to sing, and we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4 together, please. Higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining (laughs) every day. So we are back in Matthew chapter five. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I feel like I say this often. This is a very controversial passage of Scripture that we're going to deal with tonight, um, and I think that it will take us more than one week to get through it. And I think it's a very important topic for us to look at. And the the topic is the Christian and civic duties. But if you have a study Bible, sometimes it will say teaching on forgiveness, teaching on retribution, uh, teaching on vengeance. There's a lot of different ways that this passage is dealt with. And so as soon as I read it, you'll go, ooh, this is one I was kind of wondering how we were going to get into that. So Matthew 5 verse 38, here's what God's Word says. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth For a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have also thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Now, when I read these verses, I go, what is Jesus teaching in this passage of Scripture? And I think it's important when we dig, dig into a passage like this, that we don't just lift up a statement and just ignore everything that Jesus has said. I think it's also very important that we recognize that the things that Jesus is saying are consistent with what has been stated in the Old Testament law. It's not consistent. It actually goes against what is being taught by The rabbis, which is misrepresenting what God has said in his word. And then one of the things that's extremely helpful to us is when we go into the epistles, you'll see that a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of the teaching of Christ in this sermon is broken down in the epistles. And I'm going to show you an example of this as we get into this passage. But let me begin, first of all, by kind of summarizing what I think this passage is stating. The character of a growing disciple of Christ "...should motivate him to defer opportunities for vengeance, willingly accept the consequences for his actions, even when they are excessive, and cause him to humbly bear long with those who cause him frustration." So let me read that again. "...the character of a growing disciple of Christ should motivate him to defer opportunities for vengeance, willingly accept the consequences for his actions, even when they're excessive, and cause him... To humbly bear along with those who cause him frustration. Now the things that are mentioned in that summary statement, you're going to see them in the various statements that Jesus makes here. Ultimately, what God wants us to be is a virtuous people. And He wants godly virtue to be what shapes how we relate to other people. And this is uh, one of the greatest examples of how this is supposed to shape our lives is when we have conflicts with other people, interpersonal challenges how is godly virtue supposed to how is it supposed to shape us in those situations so first of all from that summary let's get into a couple of introductory thoughts that i hope will be very helpful this is obviously a very challenging passage of scripture and i'm going to give you some questions to think about based on what we've just read here but these verses are some of the most challenging interpretively because of the way that they're stated it appears by reading through it very quickly that these statements are made with no qualification. Okay? So, if somebody asks me to give them something, I've just got to give it to them. No matter what it is. No matter how much it is. No matter whether it's going to be good for them or not. If you read it quickly and you do not consider the context and you do not look at the wording carefully, you may come to that impression. Or there's a statement like, resist not evil now if you just pick up that statement and you remove it from the sermon you say jesus says we're not supposed to resist evil then you'd say well are we supposed to have law enforcement are we supposed to have laws are we supposed to have government are we supposed to have military is it okay for a nation to go to war in defense of itself If someone was robbing me on the streets, do I have the right to defend myself if someone broke into my home? Do I have to just let them do whatever they're going to do because it says don't resist evil? Well, there's a very specific context there. And that word resist is used in a very particular type of context that is consistent in all of this. And he's dealing with a legal situation. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. So, if we do not consider the context... And we do not look at the wording of these statements carefully. We will get ourselves in a lot of trouble. So some questions. Is it always wrong for a believer to go to court to seek protection from, from the legal system? I, have, as a pastor, have advised people at times, you need to get law enforcement involved in this situation for your protection. Is that a violation of the text here? Is it wrong to have a legal system? Law enforcement, military, capital punishment. Obviously, I would say, no, it's not. The Bible actually teaches these things. The Bible actually is where we get the concept of government and laws. But we need to understand how this passage is not inconsistent with that concept at all. Is it wrong for a Christian to participate in these areas? I've had uh, friends over the years who came from uh, Christian traditions that believed that it was wrong for a Christian to be in the military. They believed it was wrong for a Christian to be in law enforcement. And they said, because passages like this say, let the world do those things, don't let the Christian do those things. I said, well, that's not what the passage is teaching. But in their mind, that was exactly what it taught. Is it wrong to go to war? I think you could make a case that sometimes it'd be wrong not to go to war. You actually need to protect The nation and the people that are under your care. But that's a question we could ask. Is it wrong to defend ourselves when physically threatened? Or to refuse to give someone something or to put some parameters on what we tell people we will give them? So let's start with considering context tonight. We need to consider the context and the whole teaching of Scripture on these issues. The same God who gave us the Old Testament laws is the same God who gave us these instructions and the same God who gave us the instruction in the epistles. Now, as the Holy Spirit moved people like Moses to write in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the Holy Spirit was speaking through the Apostle Paul in the epistles and when Jesus is talking in this passage, there's not an inconsistency and what is being communicated if we really want to understand what is here we've got to look at all of those pieces fit them together and you will see that in fact there is a continuity and so i want to observe this first it's not unusual to make statements without qualification because we know that context provides certain assumptions i'll just give you a simple example of this has anyone ever been sitting out on their deck Maybe it was vacation, you were, uh, you were by the ocean and you, you watched the sun come up or you watched the sun go down depending on uh, if you're on the Atlantic or the Gulf or whatever you are. Or you were maybe looking out over the mountains and you see the sunrise, you see it set and you're sitting there with your spouse or your kids and you say, isn't that a beautiful sunrise? And they're like, yeah, it's beautiful. Hold on a second. What you should have said is, kind of interesting how as the the earth is rotating on its axis should we do that no it doesn't make any sense to do that that the fact is that when i make a statement like it's a beautiful sunrise yes it is true that i could break this down scientifically and talk about what's actually taking place but the context basically is to say as i'm sitting here i'm watching the sunrise and it's absolutely beautiful and nobody sits there and goes, oh, you're, you're wrong in the way that you're explaining this. In other words, the context gives some parameters. That's what it does. Second thing I'll mention is this. We need to consider all of Scripture when interpreting passages like these. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see a fascinating example of how the Apostle Paul does this. And what we're going to see is that what Paul does is he goes to an Old Testament law and he applies it in a specific context, okay? And a lot of the things that Paul is saying in these verses, they're actually kind of similar to the things that Jesus is saying here. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Listen to what it says. Who goeth out to warfare any time at his own charge? Or who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? Now, what Paul, is, what Paul is doing is he's saying, there's like this natural law argument. If somebody works, they should be paid. And everybody knows this because that's a sensible conclusion to come to. Even if God's word never told us this, we would know by conscience that this is the right thing to do. But then he says, even the law of God says this. Says I say I these things as a man, or saith not the law also? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen, or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap unto also carnal things or physical things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ." Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the holy things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that I should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. Now this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. And I want you to think about this in the light of where we're going to go in the Sermon on the Mount discussion. So Paul begins with an Old Testament example. And this Old Testament example is an interesting one. In this example, he talks about an animal that is crushing grain. And he says, you do not muzzle the ox when it's working for you. And you say, what does this have to do with what Paul is saying about being a preacher of the gospel and how they have a responsibility to, to pay him for the work that he's doing so that he doesn't starve? And then now he's going to go and he's going to say, and by the way, even though I have that right, I'm going to choose not to take it from you. It's like, where does this all come from? Well, I think this is actually very helpful for us to understand how the Old Testament law is applied. Basically, there is a very simple principle here. And Paul is taking an example and he is applying it in a way that could go into lots and lots of different situations. He's applying this example showing that there are many potential situations where the principle could be applied. And that's because the Old Testament law is written like case laws. So instead of saying, okay, in this situation, and then he gives... 50 other scenarios where the exact same principle applies, which is kind of what our legal system does, right? Okay, That's the way our legal system is. And that's why if you walk into a lawyer's office, you just see books and books and books and books of all these examples. Okay, The Old Testament law is a lot simpler. We have one example that teaches a principle, and then there are infinite number of scenarios where that principle could be applied. So he says, if you have an animal and it's working for you, you don't muzzle it. You let it eat the grain because it needs to be taken care of. If you are benefiting by its labors, it should benefit by you taking care of it. That's what the principle is. But it doesn't just apply to animals. It applies to all kinds of different situations. And what Paul is saying is, this is an example of that principle being applied Though the principle could have been applied by Paul properly, and he goes on to state that that is the case, he chooses not to demand that right based on a higher principle which was shaped by biblical values. You know what that was? Paul said, even though I have a right to expect you, church at Corinth, to take care of me because I'm teaching you the word of God, I know That your mindset about giving and ministry is wrong. And so I'm choosing not to take anything from you. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Okay. He's saying I'm choosing to defer my right. Because I have a greater concern that the gospel ministry is not compromised. That's what he's saying. You say well why does he take the time to state that they have a responsibility? Well because it was true. Okay, what was also true is he was trying to help them realize they're thinking about this whole issue was wrong. And so he states, this is true, but I'm going to defer my rights for your good at this season in your life. Even though he not, chose not to demand the rights for the good of the people involved, he called attention to the principle. Now, you know what this does? What this shows you is that when, you're, when you have situations as a New Testament Christian... And you want to know what God has to say about it. It's totally appropriate to go to the Old Testament law and read the law and and understand what the principle is behind that law. That timeless truth that it's built on. And ask the question, is there ever a place in the New Testament where that principle is applied? And if it is, guess what? You have a valid principle that you can put to work in trying to figure out how to handle a situation. That's an important observation for us when we come to these verses. Third observation. There's an Old Testament uh, foundation that we need to understand. And I want to talk about a couple of examples of that in just a few minutes. But I'm going to defer from that. Observation four. There are specific instructions given in the Sermon on the Mount which need to be applied. And there are certain presuppositions based on the context that we need to observe. The first is this. I'm going to read to you verses 38 and 39. And before I tell you, well, I guess it's going to tell you up there what what the explanation is. I want you to think, how would you apply that? Verses 38 and 39. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So, poke someone in the eye and they lose their eye, guess what? They can take yours. That's what it's saying. But they can't take both of your eyes. Or if you knock out somebody's tooth, they have the right to knock out your tooth, but not all your teeth, okay? You say, well, we'll talk about it later. I want to keep moving. But I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll answer your question later. But that's what he's saying. But then he moves on to say this, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Say, what in the world is he saying? Is he telling us that we should, not, uh, we should resist our desire to get vengeance on somebody? That may be what he's saying. He also could be saying that when somebody expects you to pay them back for something that you've done to them, you have a responsibility to pay it back, even if you think it's a little bit too much. And that actually is the way that I take this statement. This is dealing with a legal scenario. If you've done wrong and you have to pay damages, do it. Even if the person who you have wronged is unnecessarily aggressive in their demands. Now this is a legal scenario. And one of the problems, one of the reasons that Jesus is addressing these issues is because things that need to be taken care of in a legal system, people are taking care of on their own in interpersonal relationships. And that's a problem. God created the government to deal with certain issues. And so, he's saying, don't do that. Here's the second one, verse 39. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do not insult those who insult you. Be prepared to endure insults more than once. Now, when he talks about smiting someone on the cheek, he's talking about an insult in the Jewish culture. He's not talking about somebody who walks up to you. I'm going to take something from you and I I punch you in the jaw and I punch you in the jaw. Right hook, left hook, take you down, throw you on the ground. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a person who has insulted another person. And he says, rather than retaliating and insulting back, which is what we tend to do, right? (laughs) Okay. He says, defer. And even be willing to have to deal with it again, potentially. That's what he's saying. Third example, verse 40. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Be willing to accept the consequences of your action even if you feel they are excessive. Now, if there was a situation in a law where someone was given a coat, it was either one, you had taken uh, some kind of, uh, you, you, had, you, you, you didn't have money, you took out a loan And there had to be some kind of surety for that loan. And in the legal system, even though it was permitted to do that, they also said, if you have a situation where someone gives you their coat, well, consider them. They're going to be cold at night. Let them have their coat back. And then then you take it during the day. That's kind of the idea. But we're talking about a surety situation. You're the one who has the need and you're the one who is in trouble. And then the fourth example. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Be willing to go beyond what is required. I'm not going to get into this uh, fully right now, but he's talking about a situation where there were certain laws where Rome had rule over Israel at the time, and someone could walk up to you and say, as a soldier, you need to carry my stuff. You say, well, I don't want to do that. I'm a free citizen. Actually, you're not a free citizen, you're under the rule of Rome. Because you're under the rule of Rome, we have laws, and you have to do this. A great example of this was Simon of Cyrene. As Jesus is carrying the cross up to Golgotha, he stumbles. And what did they do? They pull this guy, Simon, and said, you've got to carry his cross. Well, this is a great example of what was going on. And obviously, the Jewish people didn't like the fact that they had an obligation to the law, that they had to do this. But Jesus is saying, not only should you walk with him one mile, that's required. Be willing to go a second. And then the last example is in verse 42. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Be willing to show mercy indiscriminately. The fifth observation is that the immediate context of the sermon needs to be considered. Now, these statements have to be considered in the light of everything else that Jesus has already stated. And what has the focus of the sermon been? Well, it's been about the heart. It's been about the character, the disposition of someone who is a believer. Now, I'm using the term Christian. Obviously, we're far removed from this. But someone who is a believer, disciple of Christ. He talks about a healthy Christian being someone who is meek. Rather than them being retaliatory. They're a person who lets God fight for them. They control their passions. Instead of lashing out. He talks about them being a person who's merciful. The idea is when they see a person in a difficult situation. Rather than uh, having a calloused attitude toward them. There's a kindness. They see them in need. And they, they desire to help. Character quality. Pure in heart. There's not duplicity. There's not a double mindedness in this person. They have a single hearted allegiance. And that allegiance Is to the Lord. He talks about someone being a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is someone who. Has to learn how to bridge gaps. They have to be patient. They have to be willing to endure with people. They have to be willing to go to someone. Who doesn't want to resolve the issue. They may have to confront this individual. And they have to navigate the conversation. They may have to bring other people. Into the situation. But they desire for relationships that are broken. To be restored. And then. Someone who is persecuted for righteousness sake. Their association with Christ is something that has caused them to suffer. Now the question we should ask is, if these are the character qualities that a disciple of Christ is supposed to have, then how do those qualities affect how we relate to people in interpersonal conflicts? He's thinking about interpersonal conflicts here. He's not addressing how nations relate to nations. In other passages of Scripture, the Bible talks about that. That's not what this is all about. He's not addressing how the straight state is to relate to lawless people. I mean, Paul did not throw off the legal system. Jesus did not throw off the legal system. In fact, Paul even writes in Romans, he says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Okay? He talks about our responsibility to the government. He talks about the fact that the government was ordained by God for the punishment of evil and for the praise of them to do well. It's for order. It's for the good of humanity. And so these passages are not dealing with those kinds of scenarios. (coughs) He's not addressing a situation where a person's life is in danger. Someone's trying to kill them. They're trying to physically assault them. And they need to defend themselves. He's addressing a very specific misuse of the law. Using the law to destroy another person or using the legal process to avoid our responsibilities. And by the way, do we not have a problem with this today in our society? We absolutely do. Is it it true that at times, rather than the law being something that protects the innocent and punishes those who have done evil. Instead, the law is used as a way to destroy enemies. Of course that's the case. The law is used many times for unjust purposes, the destruction of people. And Jesus is saying that should never take place. That should never be the way that a Christian, a believer, uses this. These statements should also be viewed more as an instinctive response in certain situations rather than a law to govern behavior. What I mean by that is Jesus doesn't say, well, let me give you 10 scenarios. And in this scenario, you do it this way. This scenario, you do it this way. In this scenario, you do it this way. And he goes through all 10 and then you're like, well, I got an 11th one I want to ask you about. That's not what he's doing. The right way to look at, it, at this is how would a godly person respond in such a situation? The wrong way to look at it is, well, where are my boundaries? Where do I draw the line? I want to go to that point, and I don't want to push past it. Just give me my limits. Okay? His point is not, let me give you another law. He's saying, let me explain to you how godly people respond in such situations. Observation six. There are specific applications given in the epistles that are inspired applications of these teachings. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Now, I'm not going to actually break this down fully. I'm just going to read it so that you can see the parallels. And what you're going to notice is that the things that are stated in the, or in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, not resisting evil, whoever smites you on the right cheek, turn the other also, someone sues you at the law and takes away your, your coat, Let him have the other. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go with them an extra mile. If someone asks of you to borrow, let them do it, okay? How does Paul apply Christ's teaching? Well, you're going to see an example of this right here in this text. Here's what he says. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Pause. Is that a law? Or is that a description of a disposition of the heart that we should have? It's, it's, it's a disposition of the heart. Kindly affection. Okay? Can you legislate kindly affection toward other people? I mean, good luck. All right? You can't do it. You can legislate. Don't steal. Okay? You, you can have a law. It's written, you know, you got to do it this way. If you, if you break the law... We go to court about it, but be kindly affectioned. You can't legislate that. Either you have it in the heart or you don't. He's saying this is where it starts. Right behavior as a Christian doesn't start with, tell me where all my lines are. Tell me where I can go and where I can't. It starts with the heart. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That's where it starts. If this is really where a person's heart is, then these are the ways that it's going to manifest itself in the kinds of potential troubles we encounter. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Now pause for a moment. He's got some kind of situation in his mind when he writes, rejoicing in hope, Patient in tribulation, continuing in sin and in prayer. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about how we deal with people who are troublesome. Okay? Rejoicing in hope means, I am looking forward to a day when this is resolved. Okay? And I'm hopeful that it will happen. When he talks about patient in tribulation, he's saying, even though this person is being difficult, I'm enduring. I'm long-suffering. I'm kind. I'm enduring under the load. Continuing in sin and in prayer. I'm continuing this state because I am asking God for strength, asking him for grace, asking him to work. This is how it plays itself out. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Do you see the the parallel between that and what he says about people who ask and you give? He's talking about different ways that Christians give. Bless them which persecute you bless and curse not do you see that coming out from the matthew passage mind not high things condescend to men of low estate recompense to no man evil for evil eye for an eye tooth for a tooth give me my pound of flesh i want vengeance what does the law allow i want to take it to that level he says don't do that mind not high things are recompense to no man evil for evil If it be possible as much as lieth and you live peaceably with all men. Now, obviously that's telling us some people you can't live peaceably with. Okay? If it be possible as much as lieth within you. But what does that tell you? As much as the responsibility, the burden lies on your shoulders, you do it. Now, I can't make you repent. I can't make you ask for forgiveness. I can't make you come to me to try to resolve an issue. I can go to you, I can present a case, I can bring someone else involved so that we try to resolve the issue. I cannot make you do it, okay? You can't make me do it. So there are limitations. But as much as it lies in us, we, we do it. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, give place under wrath. If an enemy be hungry, feed him; if he be thirsty, give him to drink. And so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see the parallel? Do you see how what Paul is saying sounds like it's just an expansion of what Jesus is saying? Well, it sounds like that because that's what it is. Okay. If you want to understand what Jesus is saying, then look at how Paul applies it. This is the divine narrative through the Apostle Paul on what Jesus has stated. Observation seven. I'm just going to do eight. Don't worry. How did the Lord interact with people? Was Jesus always deferential? Did sometimes he confront? Well, he did both. Okay. Well, was Jesus violating his own principle? The answer is, of course not. Obviously, there were times that he had to look someone in the eye and say, you're wrong. Obviously, there were times that he was very blunt very forceful he demanded justice yet in other situations he was very deferential very kind very merciful here he is when he's nailed to the cross and he says father forgive them for they know not what they do okay you look at that what does it show you it shows you that there is a balance in this issue there were times that he made no defense and there were times that he made a defense There were times he extended grace, there were times he demanded justice. Obviously, godly wisdom and a righteous character can resist evil and should resist evil in certain situations. While they also can differ in certain situations. We see the exact same thing with the Apostle Paul. Paul affirmed the scriptural teaching on human government. I mentioned this in the book of Romans. Peter affirms the same concept when he talks about human government. He affirmed the legal system. He commanded the release of one's right to vengeance. He commanded Christians not to go to court with one another in interpersonal disputes. There were times he demanded justice, not grace. I think about times where the Apostle Paul was was mistreated. He didn't say a word about it. There are other times that he said, Why have you punished a Roman citizen without a trial? What? You're a Roman citizen? yeah, I am. Yeah, I was born a Roman citizen. And he, he made a point of it. The point is that there is a time to demand justice. And there's a time to extend grace. And godly character and godly wisdom help us to know which direction to go. Now, I'm looking at our time and I'm going to have to stop here. But what I'd like to do... Lord willing, next week is I'd like to get into some of these Old Testament passages. So you can see, we've looked a little bit at the, 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 the epistle side. I want you to see the Old Testament side and then I want you to see how they all fit together before we move to the application side. So that's where we're going to go, Lord willing, next week. So let's bow together for a word of prayer. And uh, if anybody has questions, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we think about this passage of Scripture. Help us to recognize that in fact, we have a great need to be a godly people who are willing to lay aside our rights and situations. We're willing to accept insults. There are times that we have to bear the consequences of our actions. And I pray that we would recognize that godly people have to do that. I pray that you would help us to understand the balance as we look at how this relates in interpersonal situations, how it actually plays out when it comes to working with other people. And I pray that you will help us to navigate our relationships in a godly way that's consistent with the character of a disciple of Christ. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.